Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Going to talk to Sam Amick, your NBA Daily Assist, coming up here momentarily. Of course, Sam writes for The Athletic, and uh, Sam was a part of that uh, report last Friday with Tony Jones and Sham Sharani in The Athletic, talking about uh, not only the situation with Rudy and Donovan Gordon, but also uh, basically the journey that this Jazz team went on uh, before, during, and after that uh, now infamous night there in Oklahoma City. Boy, that's a good word for it, isn't it? It was kind of a journey. It was certainly, uh, in the moment, felt like an elongated process for sure with people not knowing really what was going on or what to expect next or wondering when they would ever get home. It's still so weird to think about that the Jazz were at the epicenter of the world coronavirus news cycle for, what, probably a week there where they were the front and center of this whole thing worldwide. And is that because they were so aware of of uh, uh, of the whole situation, not necessarily the players themselves in avoiding it, if that were possible, but just because they had stressed it so much that that testing took place, whereas there were other players around the league who had fallen ill as well, who had not been tested and thereby were not the center of it. I, I think that's a good point and a point that they made through the story. But I guess what I was referring to is that the, you know how sometimes it takes certain experiences for a situation to hit home for certain people? Mm-hmm. I think sure. it's considering that this was the first, I don't want to say the first famous person, because I think that same night didn't Tom Hanks come out and say that he had it. But really, you know, so many people identify with sports and we all have sports teams in our communities and those sorts of things. I think Rudy coming out positive was the vehicle for this thing to hit home for the country. Yeah. Yeah. And that and from that standpoint, and this was pointed out in that in that article, but it's also been pointed out many times on our show as we've talked about this, that the fate of Rudy Gobert in that moment saved thousands of lives. And, and I, I, I believe that. I think it was ultimately a plus for it to have happened. Now, you don't want to wish it on anybody, but boy, that got the word out in a hurry and it shut down the NBA. And it wasn't Rudy's fault. Uh, that the NBA was shut down uh, or shut down the way it was. No, it was the event that triggered it all. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really what it was. And I think you can make a a really strong argument that that went well beyond sports after that infamous night. In fact, let's let's talk about uh, talk about this to the man himself. Austin, hit it. It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. NBA Daily Assist brought to you by our friends at Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Out to the Sprint special guest line we go. Sprint, they make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit sprint.com for online services and local store availability. From The Athletic, he's our good friend, Sam Amick. Sam, how are you? Gentlemen, doing just fine. How are you? We're doing great, Sam. And as you predicted last week, uh, your report with Tony uh, Tony Jones and Sham Sharania there at the Athletic certainly um, had an impact on our sports landscape here in Salt Lake City. Well, good. I hope we gave you all something to talk about. I uh, I enjoyed doing it. I honestly, I've said this to you guys before that collaborating uh, with other writers is something. But I, I hadn't done nearly as much before the athletic as I do now, and, and uh, they encourage it. And, and this is one of those projects where, it, you know, it's an inexact science, but I felt pretty darn good about the, uh, the the whole thing. You know what I mean? There's a lot of layers to that story, and a lot of that stuff had already been talked about and written about. But, you know, I think we uh, we were able to shed some new light on it, too. Yeah, I thought the information about how the Jazz had huddled up to prepare themselves for this kind of uh, thing was really interesting. The detail involved in that really, really did make it clear 
that the Jazz were probably ahead of the curve, and yet the irony that one of their players or two of their players tested positive and caused uh, spark this whole chain of events thereafter. For sure, Gordon. And, and I, you know, I thought about one of your parting comments last week when we visited. You, you kind of, when I previewed the story, you made a comment about Quinn Snyder in particular and the fact that you know you were aware of a lot of the stuff he had done in advance to help his team and that you know all of that stuff I enjoyed learning about I enjoyed writing about I uh, was very grateful to Quinn for being willing to talk I always enjoy talking to Quinn and we probably visited for almost an hour for this story um, obviously over the phone and you know his backstory I just thought was so fascinating because you know being a Seattle native and and being just a little bit more aware than I think a lot of people in different parts of the country, you know, where you had to really have your eyes open to see this thing coming. Uh, but because of the Seattle, you know, that was the early epicenter in America. And then he had, you know, like the story talks about his brother, Matt has got a specialty food shop in the middle of the Pike place market. So he was asking himself similar questions about, does he keep his business open? And then they've got this random friendship with, the basis from Pearl Jam, who's, you know, part of their kind of internal uh, kind of workshopping conversations as well. So a lot of layers to it again, uh, you know, and, and Austin and I talked off there. I mean, certainly the Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert stuff was front and center and got the most attention. But, um, you know, that was certainly just part of the story. Well, that part of the story has created some anxiety amongst jazz fans, and uh, Joe Ingles uh, reacted to it as recently today on our air, saying that everything's going to be fine and they're going to work everything out. Rudy Gobert himself uh, reacted to it via Instagram over the weekend, saying that he has spoken to Donovan and uh, that uh, they're going to kind of pull in the same direction. But we haven't really heard from Donovan. What's your, I guess, what's your take on the fallout amongst the, the jazz players themselves? I'm not sure just yet. You know, I mean, again, just chatting with Austin off air, you know, he mentioned that I haven't seen this personally, but that Donovan visited with the rapper Fat Joe and, and kind of essentially said he didn't want to talk about the Rudy stuff, but that it was time to get back to work and be on the same page. I mean, um, I just listened. The reporting that, that we, that was consistent across the board in doing this story was that it was a very substantive challenging real dynamic between them and you know i i think that you know it seems like that first conversation that they had might help um but it also seems like both guys are kind of just saying you know we don't have to love each other and and i've been through this plenty of times you know with other teams whether you know last year you had the chris paul james harden stuff right where they downplayed it they downplayed it they downplayed it next thing you know chris is traded you know, over time, some of the truth comes out. I remember P.J. Tucker telling me back then, like, well, Kobe and Shaq hated each other, and, and they kept winning, which was accurate, but uh, but also um, not exactly a great defense if, if you're trying to act like two guys, you know, aren't kind of at each other's throats. So, you know, we'll see how this develops over time. And the one thing I do think has been underemphasized, even by us, is that, you know, anybody who thinks that the dynamic kind of – has everything to do with the virus COVID-19 story. That's just not the case. They, they had tricky elements to their relationship that were basketball related and personality related long before the pandemic. So I think it's a combination of those two things. The, the quote that, uh, that we've been referring to the one about the, it being unsalvageable, uh, Sam, I, I, I've been telling people uh, since I read this story that you guys and, and most of the responsible journalists I know don't go around uh, using a quote like that flippantly or without uh, it coming from an important source. Uh, it was later in the story, but boy, that that's the explosive part to this uh, thing that, uh, like Jake was talking about, caught so many people's attention. Uh, do, do you uh, can you add anything to that about how unsalvageable it is? Truthfully, Gordon, not a ton. Uh, and, and I, you know, in the interest of transparency, um, you know, earlier on, I kind of alluded to the inexact science of collaboration, which is to say that you know, and I don't mind sharing, and again, being 
uh, kind of cards on the table. In that part of the story, you know, my reporting and my in my uh, contribution was conversations with Joe Ingles, where he, on the record, obviously had a different view, where he said that he thought they could work it out. Now, uh, Tony and Shams both, I'll, I'll just, I can't get into their business, but I'll put it this way, that they 100% were talking to, you know, the most relevant parties in terms of uh, the respective camps. Um, and, you know, like you said, that sort of a quote isn't, Use without you know spending some time to chew on it. And make sure a that it's accurate. B if is it salacious or over the top. Um, I've also it just it, it never ceases to amaze me just in this business in general that there's this fascinating like mystery that comes with you know it, it just what am I trying to say? It blows me away that an anonymous quote nine times out of ten uh, that the readers and the fans react more strongly to it and find it more interesting than what somebody within the same team might actually say on the record, you know, like, uh, and so, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of felt for Joe a little bit because Joe defended his teammates and gave his opinion, made it known. And like I said, that part got forgotten. Um, but you know, we'll see. Uh, I think that the league is watching this situation now because I know basketball is on hold. It doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things right now, but I, I do think that Rudy in particular, if this thing didn't get fixed enough, could become the kind of guy that all of a sudden other teams are, are seeing an opportunity there and trying to pry him away. You know, I believe he's got, does he have one year left on his deal? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that sound about right, guys? Yep. Yeah. That is you right. know, and, and then Donovan's, you know, I believe up for an extension this off season, whenever that is. And so, um, you know, I think it, the noise and some of the smoke here is more than enough for other teams to, to monitor it and see where it goes. Just an observation on that story, Sam. Uh, I thought you guys captured the anxiety of that night in Oklahoma City really, really well. And one thing I, I had not heard as part of that story that I thought was great was that Chris Paul procured some beer and wine to send to the Jazz locker room just to take the edge off in a show of brotherhood i just i thought you guys captured that night really well that both teams had to have just tremendous anxiety as to what exactly was happening the fear there yeah no and i appreciate you saying that jake I, i'd love that that anecdote too uh a quick side story that made me laugh is that you know in talking to quinn uh he was quinn was the one who gave chris some credit in our conversation and he says in the story that you know that was one of his neatest parts is the fact that he did that. Um, and, and he says, well, he brought refreshments. And and I said, well, what do you mean refreshments? And he said, I have refreshments. And he didn't want to get into it. And I, <laughs> he kind of made me work for it. And, you know, and so I had to go get that information elsewhere. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Chris, it, it's funny. He's one of those dudes that, you know, it's I, your classic, like, if you play against him, you can't stand him. If he's on your team, you love him. Now, you know, that's normally how he is. This was a unique situation where he obviously decided that, you know, there needed to be some sort of gesture of kind of camaraderie and support. You know, he's also the president of the Players Union, and so that's going to be part of his wiring and his fabric. Um, But, no, I thought that was a a neat thing. And then everything that happened with the hotel situation was pretty wild. You know, they they really did get turned away by multiple hotels that – they were panicking a bit and thought that they were just this traveling band of infected athletes and didn't want to house them, so to speak. And then the Thunder had to pull some strings and get them uh, to a couple hotels, but the main one, the, the resident jammed by the airport, you know, and then nobody sleeps all night and, and they can't go anywhere and they end up hanging in the lobby until four in the morning because, you know, you, you, the adrenaline's pumping through your veins. So, uh, yeah, I mean, certainly a, a lot going on that night. Really were like hostages having to negotiate their own release. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and, and if you, I mean, the hypotheticals of that night guys are interesting because to your point, Gordon, like if you don't get support from the people back at Salt Lake city with the jazz who were figuring out planes, figuring out the medical community, you know, um, Angela Dunn, the epidemiologist, for you know, the state of Utah that was part of the support system and all those things, then you know if you don't get back to Salt Lake City the next day, 
and you might not get back for two weeks. And that might not sound like the end of the world, but it's just not what any of them really wanted. Um, you might be stuck in OKC for a while. And even more importantly, um, something that, again, we probably underemphasized is that the the coordination between the Jazz and the Thunder to make sure that game didn't actually start came in the absence of uh, a real declarative decision from the NBA. I mean, that was Sam Presti and Dennis Lindsay working in concert to give the NBA time and, and kind of unilaterally deciding to delay the game. And, and the point that has been made to me is like, you know, because we later found out that Donovan had tested positive, who knows what might have happened if you played just one quarter of that game. You know what I mean? If Donovan shared that ball with a bunch of guys, then maybe you you got, you know, kind of the, the spread rose even from there. So um, kudos to both organizations for making the best of a tough situation. I know this is expanding it, uh, the story onto a grand level, but is it a, a testament to the power of sports that that night, that incident really kicked the country in the butt to start taking this thing more seriously and taking more, um, you know, drastic measures to, to combating it? It seems like that event triggered that change in the world, or am I overselling that? No, I think you're right, uh, and I've thought about that. You know, I think that is the case. And, and I, you know, for a minute, I thought maybe it was being overstated when I learned about, like, the Pearl Jam subplot. And even uh, I started looking at other entertainers who had to make similar decisions. And, like, Pearl Jam actually postponed its tour in North America two days before the NBA shut down. So for a minute, I was thinking, well, do entertainment entities like that deserve more credit? But the obvious difference is that just the scope of the NBA from an entertainment standpoint, the number of cities you're talking about, the number of games, the number of teams, um, you know, it's the difference between, a, you know, a massive cruise ship coming to a halt, you know, and a smaller little tugboat, for lack of a better way of putting it. Uh, Pearl Jam's amazing, but it's still one band going, you know, one show at a time. I do think that the NBA just coming to a close is – was uh, the tipping point for a lot of other entities where they had to look at it and say, okay, this is, you know, this is the end of things as we knew them. Sam, I don't want to blow the cover on you, but you're a pretty mentally sound person. uh, And we've known you for a long time. And I consider Jake to be of the same ilk. And uh, I'd like to fancy myself as also being somewhat uh, strong mentally. But I'm telling you, I think all three of us, this is edged up on us uh, as time goes by. Have you gotten a sense from the players or other people involved in the league around the country how they're holding up in in that regard? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like everybody's doing okay. Um, and apologies. I, I caught most of that, Gordon. Technology just failed me. I had to transition to the phone here. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think people are – what I keep talking to people about is how it's like now it's a little eerie because the new routine doesn't feel so new anymore. Um, you know, and, and it's like phase two of this thing. And who knows how long it lasts. I mean, I wrote a story today about – the rising optimism within the NBA that they're going to salvage this season in some form. But um, folks seem to be doing okay. You know, I mean, listen, most of us, I mean, the sports media industry is is getting battered pretty good uh, by this. And and honestly, you know, I'm thankful to be, I mean, our, our business model, subscription-based, is, is a, a little more kind of pandemic-proof than an advertising-based model, which is the vast majority of sports media. So, you know, I hate seeing colleagues and friends who might get furloughed or might get laid off. You know, that stuff's tough. So those folks, you know, are struggling through. But within the league, the coaches, the players, the PR people, um, it, you know, it's a case-by-case basis. But for the most part, doing okay. I think one of the takeaways that has surprised me is uh, I had this naive kind of assumption that if anything like this ever happened, that because of the wealth of the players, that – you know, somehow, some way, they would find a way to not only stay in shape, but to play hoop. And I don't really, I know, you know, I, I never quite figured out the logistics of that in my head and why I had that assumption. But that part keeps surprising me when you see interviews with players who just readily admit, like, no, you don't get it. Like, I'm, I'm you know, I'm gaining weight. I'm out of shape. You know, uh, Patty Mills did a podcast with Howard Beck from Bleacher Report the other day, and he joked about, 
uh, Patty joked about how air balls, you know, are going to have to be uh, accepted for a little while. The fans are going to have to be patient because these guys haven't shot the ball. Um, so that part is just you keep using that word surreal. You know, that's pretty wild that this is what they do for a living, and uh, and because of the restrictions, they obviously they just they can't even get the, the lightest bit of work in. Sam, uh, getting away from uh, that topic for a moment, are you excited for this Michael Jordan documentary coming out this weekend? Yeah, for sure. No, I'm fired up. Um, kind of wish I, I mean, I didn't really write anything about it. I'm still uh, excited to read, and I would heavily encourage others to read um, a piece that we have on our site. Joe Varden, another national writer at our place, collected a ton of stories from uh, people about meeting MJ for the first time and um, and I haven't, again, I haven't read it yet, but I've heard it's really good. And it, it's, I'm sure it's going to take me back to my childhood because, I mean, I was a 80s kid who was on the Warriors bandwagon for a while. I think I told you guys this, you know, then they, they kind of faded out and, and Michael took over the basketball world. And I was a huge MJ fan. I was a big MJ kid. In fact, just the other day in my, uh, my, my pandemic time killing, I was, uh, looking at old pictures and found, an old shot of like, I don't know, 15, 14 year old Sam with a, a Michael Jordan shirt on. And I used to have a, a binder um, back, you know, before the, the internet, a binder where I would photocopy every single Michael Jordan article that I could come across, you know, SI, um, Sport Magazine, whatever it might be. And I had what was probably like a 700 page, you know, Xerox photocopy binder full of nothing but Michael Jordan stories. And I would just, I would read every word I possibly could uh, from whoever was, you know, telling his tale. So I think it's going to be great for the obvious reason that he has kept his own truth and his own story so close to the vest for so long. He just doesn't share. You know what I mean? Like if you, just a quick parallel, if you compare Michael to LeBron, because we always have that debate, best player ever, you know, I mean, LeBron's giving you 30 Instagram videos a day of his daily life. Um, you know, first of all, Michael never had that choice. Second of all, he never would have used it. And then way beyond that, like, he doesn't even grant interviews to tell you about his mentality during his career. And you know, I saw the other day that he was quoted as saying that, that people are going to think he's a bad person after watching this documentary. And it's pretty clear that he's, his drop the mic moment, no pun intended, is like, you know, just six rings. What else are you going to say? Like he got the job done. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be really, really good. Do you think, Sam, in your experience in interviewing NBA players, that, that the great ones have that kind of competitive thirst that is almost maladjusted? It sounds funny, but. Oh, for sure. For, yeah, yeah. I, in fact, um, a little bit of a melancholy thing here, guys. Like, I, to your question, Gordon, I thought about Kobe the other day, and it's like I actually would love to do a piece if I can get cooperation. You know, collecting similar type stories from Kobe when it comes to like the now that he's been gone for a minute. You know, when somebody passes, you you, you typically stick. You know, you stick to the uh, just the rosy stories and the rosy stuff. Um, you know, but I almost think it's a a disservice to the legacy or the kind of the memory of athletes like Michael and Kobe, where you know, like Kobe was wired in a similar type of way. You can, you can find teammates that will say, yeah, there was that one time in practice when he, he, you know, screened somebody so hard and deliberately put his shoulder right in their face to send them a message and put them on the floor. And everybody in the room was sitting there going, what the F is wrong with you? And then, you know, a few months later, when you saw that particular teammate, playing with a little more toughness and a little more grit, you know, then you kind of saw the, the kind of the mad scientist element in it all. So, yeah, the great ones have that. I mean, and there's a fine line there. I mean, it's uh, the winning is the great equalizer. Well, you know, if you if you add rings to it, then it's going to get lauded and celebrated as we look back on it. If, if you act that way and don't get the results, then you're just a, you know, you're just a malcontent and a bad guy. Uh, and that's the harsh reality of pro sports being a results-based business but um yeah and that's the thing is with this documentary you, the, the previews that i've seen and the stories i've read it's pretty clear you're going to get a healthy dose of you know the kind of the, the unsanitized stuff sam thank you as always for jumping on with us we always look forward to it and thanks for providing a little depth to that uh, that story you guys did a, a wonderful job on last week we really appreciate it 
You got it. Appreciate you guys. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Sam. The great Sam Emick from The Athletic. And I'll tell you what, Gordon, Sam is is truly never to be missed. I mean, he's always, always good. But I I loved him going kind of through that story with us uh, from top to bottom and and kind of giving us, like I said, a little depth to it. I thought that was really, really good. Yeah, Sam's one of the best. He's a pro. And so are the other guys who wrote that story. Tony, certainly. Shams, I mean, as I said, I found that even though we knew a lot of the detail of as far as what happened to the Jazz because of people we had talked with on the show and off the show about the process, it was it was interesting the way they put that all together. And then, of course, like we talked about, the, the source, the unnamed source, that some people were discounting. I never discounted it. I, I, I think somebody important really said that. And I think they said that to one of those three pros and that they measured it and used it. Uh, and and uh, it's legitimate. I, I think it was legitimate. Now, it, like you said, it's a moving target because these things change. But at one point, somebody important felt that way. And why did they feel that way, Jake? Because somebody told them they felt that way. Right. All right, we'll have more coming up straight ahead. Stay tuned. Uh, We've got a partner profile coming your way at 4.50. Tom Fornelli is going to join the show right around the corner, so make sure and stay tuned for that. And Trevor Booker will be with us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. I want to remind you about our friends at RGS Exteriors. They will improve the curb appeal for your house with James Hardy Brickstone and Stucco Exteriors, along with Soffit Fascia and Rain Gutters. Check them out at rgsutahsiding.com. Talking NFL Draft with Tom Fornelli of CBS Sports. What's next? 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. That's just the way it is. Ah, but don't you believe that? Said, hey, boy, you can Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thank you very much for making us a part of your day. We're going to talk a little NFL draft with Tom Fornelli of CBS Sports coming up here momentarily. We'll find out what he thinks about Jordan Love and where he might end up. Uh, We'll get his overall thoughts on Jordan Love and how exactly they're going to pull off the draft in the first place. Of course, kind of fantasy football style. We also, uh, earlier in the week, talked to Austin Lee about having to kind of pull some strings just to get timed for a pro day or a throw-together pro day and maybe how those difficulties are affecting um, you know how people or how NFL teams scout for the draft and and who they will select. So we'll get to Tom's thoughts on that coming up. Uh, we're going to have a partner profile at 4:50. We're going to talk to our friend Dan from Bullfrog Spas. Excited to talk to Dan. That's at 4:50, and then at top of the five o'clock hour, Trevor Booker, the former Jazz man, is going to join the show. Trevor retired from the NBA earlier this week. So uh, that's what's on tap coming your way from the big show. Uh, but right now, let's get out of the Sprint special guest line. Sprint, they make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Joining us now from CBS Sports, he is Tom Fornelli to talk a little NFL draft on the big show. Hi, Tom. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Hey, we're doing just great. Uh, I guess first question, we'll get into kind of who you think is going to go where, but first question, what do you think about this fantasy football-style draft and the NFL proceeding and kind of thinking outside of the box to do so? I'm looking forward to it simply because I feel like the actual draft that they've been doing the last few years, is it entered TV show, TV production a few years ago when they extended it to starting it on Thursday nights with the first round. And I've, I've always been somebody who grew up watching the draft on TV and following it. And I loved the draft, but I just felt like they were stretching it out and milking it for far more than it's actually worth to get it to last longer. So to kind of have an old schoolish feel where there's not going to be as much pomp and circumstance, and there's not going to be so much production as much as it's going to be what it is, an NFL draft. I'm looking forward to that a little bit. It's going to be interesting to see if, you know, maybe going forward, they don't realize this might be the smarter way to do it anyway. You know, kind of on that note, we we talked to Austin Lee earlier in the week. He's a safety from BYU, but he he told us the hoops he had to jump through to get, you know, a somewhat of a pro day, basically just get an accurately timed 40, for example, and had to pull some strings to do that. What I mean, how is it going to affect this draft where NFL teams, I guess, don't have as much information as they usually do? 
it's it's going to have a huge impact. And I think it's, it might not be immediate right from the start. It's just, you know, because overall it's just going to look like what it always is. Teams are picking players based on how their boards look. It's just going into a draft in previous years, like when things are in a, a normal situation where there are all the pro days, there are all the, you know, the workouts, the combine, everything like that. Teams are able to glean all that data, all that information to go along with the tape on these players. You kind of start to get a better idea of what teams are thinking or what they're looking for. And word starts to leak out, you know, this so-and-so team likes this guy, these guys, like you know, this quarterback, and that kind of stuff. This year with everybody kind of being isolated, you're not getting as much whispers of what teams are doing. It's it's not as prevalent as it usually is in years before. And I think as far as the teams are concerned, yeah, they have less information to work with. It is far more difficult for them this year to get the kind of data that they want on a guy to, you know, for whether it's at a pro day measuring him and just seeing him up close and personal compared to how it is on tape. And we're going to see some, you know, maybe some wild swings and things maybe you don't expect, but also – there might be, you know, more "quote unquote" busts from this draft in a few years from now, simply because teams weren't didn't have complete information on guys they were taking. But we could also see it flip the other side, where the there are the big late round or mid round surprises, just because teams weren't really able to evaluate them as fully as they might have before. And in previous years, maybe those are the guys, like the smaller school guys that aren't top, of, you know, the top of everybody's list that teams discover and they start climbing up the board as the draft gets closer that those kind of guys aren't really going to exist this year because they don't have a chance so it might be one of those years where like a fifth or sixth round guy ends up being like you know a great nfl player and everybody's gonna act like they never saw it coming and we're gonna forget it's because well they never really had the chance to see it coming because nobody was able to work out so it's it's going to be interesting i think that we also there's a chance that maybe things get crazy simply because you know human nature everybody's been kind of penned up in their homes, not really able to do all their normal stuff for the last few weeks. You might see some of that boredom creep into the draft where maybe teams are a little more aggressive with trades and more willing to take swings just because it feels like it's giving them something to do. Do you have any specific hunches about something that might be surprising early on? I, in, in my latest mock, I mean, if you looked at mocks for the last few months, it's pretty much been a certainty. Everybody's got Joe Burrow going number one to the Bengals, and I think that that is what's going to happen. But then everybody also has had, you know, Chase Young going to the Redskins at number two. And I think if the Redskins stay at number two, they will end up taking Chase Young. I just don't think the Redskins are going to stay at number two. I think if you look at that team overall – they they need an edge rusher. It's true. Chase Young is I think Chase Young is the best prospect in this draft and he would fill an immediate hole for the Redskins. It's just that's a team with a new general manager, a new coach, a new regime coming in, and it's a team with a lot of holes to fill. And if they if somebody's gonna want to move up to get Tua or to get Justin Herbert, they're going to call the Redskins first. And if they can get, I think that they're going to get an offer that's enticing enough for them to move down to where they'll still be able to get an edge rusher that they need. Maybe it's Caleb on Chase on or somebody else later in the first round, but we'll be able to pick up extra picks and help them fill all those holes. Because while Ron Rivera is coming in and taking over, I don't think Ron Rivera is the type of coach who's interested in starting like a long-term rebuilding project, nor do I think that the Redskins have that kind of patience to have a long-term rebuild, considering how things have gone there for most of the last decade. And last year, they found themselves in a position where they were able to get Dwayne Haskins, who they hope is their franchise quarterback. So I think that if Washington wants to take more of a win-now approach to this draft, they will be interested in trading down and accumulating more picks to address those holes and try to improve quicker. Because as good as Chase Young is, adding Chase Young alone is not going to make the Redskins a playoff team. Tom Fornelli of CBS Sports with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, so right now in your current mock draft, you have uh, Miami trading up to get Justin Herbert uh, with the Redskins, as you're, you're talking about there. If a team were to do that and go with Herbert over Tua, does that say more about their confidence in Justin Herbert or more in doubt maybe about Tua's health? It's doubt about Tua. I, I think that that has been the prevalent fear as far as, Tua and his draft stock is because it's 
Like if you look at the hip injury that he had last year, it's a freak injury. It's not one of those things that you worry about reoccurring or having maybe a long-term impact on him like, say, it did on Bo Jackson years ago where it kind of pretty much destroyed his NFL career. It's not that severe. The problem with Tua is before that hip injury, he's had chronic ankle injuries at Alabama. He's had a few procedures done on each ankle for sprained ankles that have caused him to miss time. So he picks up that injury-prone label, and those ankle ones are the kind of injuries that could be you know, something that is just he's going to have to deal with throughout his entire career. And that's going to scare some teams off because if you are investing in a quarterback early in the draft, I mean, you're putting as a general manager or as a head coach, whoever you are, you're putting your job on the line with this player. If he does not work out, if he fails to meet those expectations, odds are you're going to get fired because of it. Whereas if he does live up to the hype, you could write a lifetime contract with that team. So I think if we were just looking at these quarterbacks as nothing but skill set and performance at the college level, Tua is far and away the best quarterback in this draft, just from a tool aspect and from a performance. Joe Burrow had a great senior season at LSU, don't get me wrong, but Tua was great for multiple seasons, whereas Burrow, his first few years at Ohio State where he couldn't win the starting job and his first year at LSU, he was not a, he did not have great seasons. He was great last season and it that's a one-year sample size. So we can't say, even though he was the number one, he's going to be the number one pick in the draft, I'm not as sold on Joe Burrow being a great NFL quarterback. I think he's going to be a starting NFL quarterback, but he might just be an average one. Tua, to me, is the only quarterback in this class that has the ability to be a Pat Mahomes-type you know, future of the NFL franchise quarterback. He's that talented. But again, the fear is... If he has to deal with health injury, you know, health problems for his entire career, he's never going to be able to reach that ceiling. And when you're putting your job on the line, as a lot of these general managers are, it's hard to pull the trigger. Sometimes the safer option, like a Burrow or a Herbert, who is somebody that you see all those tools, and although maybe the production hasn't always been there, and he definitely has flaws of his own, you can talk yourself into that because you get scared off by the injury. So, yeah, I, I, I think that if Tua did not have the health concerns, he's by far the runaway choice to be the number one pick, and then we're just trying to figure out whether it'll be Burrow or Herbert going second and third. What's your evaluation of Utah State's Jordan Love? I think there is a lot there to like, and I think that if you saw from the way he you know, played a couple years ago, you saw glimpses of what he can be. He's got the big arm. He's very athletic. He can move, but he's not like, you know, he's a dual threat quarterback, but he's not the dual threat that is a run first. He is a guy that can pass the ball, and if there's nothing there and he has to run, then he could take off and get yards that way, which is what you generally prefer from your dual threat. You don't really want a run first guy. You want a guy who can, you know, run your passing offense. My concern with Jordan Love is we hear things you know, like if depending on how you feel about him you could talk yourself into a lot of different things like he did not play well last year at Utah State his, his final season and you've seen things like saying well he didn't have the ton, he didn't have a bunch of good talent around him and his teammates let him down but at the same time when we talk about great quarterbacks like one of the things you always hear about you know the, the Tom Brady's of the world the Peyton Manning's is that they made their teammates better. So which is it? Is it do you, or is a great quarterback somebody who makes his teammates better, or can we then go to the excuse of, well, he didn't have great players around him, so it kind of impacted. So when I look at Jordan Love, I see all the tools, the skill set. I see everything that a team can dream on for what he can be. It's just I don't know if I'm drafting Jordan Love for somebody who I think can start for me right away. I think that he needs to go to the right situation where if he can get to a team where he's allowed to maybe sit for a year and pick up the offense and not be pressured to start and be the guy right away, and he's with a smart offense, a smart coach, guys who can help you know mold quarterbacks, I think he has the talent and the ability to be a very good top-notch NFL quarterback. It's just I think there's still a long way to go between where he is now to that point. So it's going to depend on the situation for him where he lands, but I, if I – if I'm him, I'm hoping that I get to be, you know, with with a team that has an established starter who would hope to mold me for a year or two away from being the starting guy myself. Tom, the University of Utah had a really good defense this past year, and they're expecting to have a bunch of players drafted this year, headlined by corner Jalen Johnson. Uh, what do you think about him, and can he expect to be a first-day, second-day guy? What are you thinking? I think, I mean, if he falls to the the Vikings, and they have their two picks. If he's still there on the board for them at 25, 
I think he's going to be a Viking. I just look at him and I look at his style of play, and he has everything that the Vikings love in their cornerbacks. He's got length, he's physical, and if you look at every single cornerback, Mike Zimmer, throughout his coaching career, when he was a defensive coordinator and now becoming a head coach of the Vikings, those are the things he loves in corners. He likes guys who can be physical at the line of scrimmage, who can make tackles, help out in the run game, but he also likes length because, you know, obviously when you're covering receivers, having long, being tall or having long arms and legs, that's half the battle because then you can get in front of the pass as long as you keep with the receiver. So when I just look at him and the way he plays, his build, his athleticism, his strength, he just screams Minnesota Viking quarterback to me. So I think that if he's there, the Vikings have the two first-round picks now. I don't think I don't know if they will take him with the first one, but I think that if he's still on the board for the second one, he's definitely going to end up going to Minnesota. It just makes too much sense to me. Tom, thank you for all the insight. We really appreciate it. Uh, love your work there at CBS Sports. Keep it up. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure joining you. And uh, ha- have a good rest of the week. And I hope you know. Hope, hope we're out of this soon and we're back to normal in, in the near future. Here, here. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Tom. Stay well. That's Tom Fornelli from CBS Sports. A lot of good things to say about uh, Jalen Johnson. Think he he would be a good fit for Minnesota. Hey, that'd be a good team and a good defense to go to. If I were Jalen Johnson, yeah. I'd be cheering for that. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. All right, let's get out of the zone phone. Joining us now, he is our good friend Tom from the warehouse. Two locations, one in Orem, one in Salt Lake, open and helping out our listeners. And Tom, I've heard we've had a few listeners come by and get help out today. We have. Um, we've had some traffic this afternoon, and under the circumstances, we are very grateful. This industry has been hit as hard as any industry with this uh, whole scenario that the world is under right now. Typical uh, furniture stores are down about 80%, if you can believe it. So uh, it's been decimating. So we're out there trying to give you a reason to maybe bring some of that stimulus money and get the new bed that you've been looking for, get a new sofa, whatever you're in need of, we're going to give you the best quality name brand at prices that are probably the lowest in the country. And I've got a deal for you that uh, we've done some wrought iron beds before, Jake and Gordon. And I said, we're going to do something unprecedented. We took 25% off. I'm going to blow your minds, and I don't want to make the boom too sonic because it might cause another earthquake. <laughs> How about 35% off any wrought iron bed made by Liggett and Platt? I've got uh, hundreds of them. If you remember, I got a truckload of wrought iron beds. I'm already 50% off the normal price, taking an additional 35% off. Not, I'm not stopping there, Jake. All We're right. going to continue that uh, Jake special with 30% off all coffee tables that are in stock. And then our adjustable beds. This is the perfect time. If you've been wanting one, don't hesitate any longer because I have a queen head-up adjustable bed with the mattress, $499. I've got the bump up with all the features, $899. And if, if you're looking for the best, if you want all the features, including the lumbar support, head up, foot up, 24 massage settings, USBs with LED lights. You cannot beat this deal, including a 14-inch gel-infused latex hybrid, only $1,299. This is the $5,400 home show special, $1,299. Then last uh, break, we announced... The normal bed that we've been advertising at $2,400 for the Split King, I've dropped the price 500 bucks. It's $999 for a Split King adjustable. Incredible deal. So come and see us. If you just need the Austin nightstand for 40 bu- $49, bucks, whatever it might be, come and see us here at the warehouse. Jake, you've got the addresses. You've got them better than I do. 86th East University Parkway there in Orem, 1967 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Both open and helping out our listeners. Tom, you are the best. Thank you as always. Thanks, guys. There you go. The great Tom from the warehouse, 86 East University Parkway, 1967 South, 300 West in Salt Lake. Partner profile coming your way next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's time to showcase those that are helping all of us through these difficult times. This is a partner profile on the Zone Sports Network. 
it's a big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thanks for making us part of your day. We're hoping to talk to our friend Dan from Bullfrog Spas, partner of a partner, excuse me, Gordon, I'm laughing, I can't spit it out, a partner profile they weren't you? I, I was previewing drops of the day. I've got to admit, there's, you know what? Uh, I'm letting a listener who interacted with us on Twitter pick my drops of the day today. Gordon, my drop, and uh, he did a good job. the The one we're going to use is is really funny. Oh, good. I'm glad. So we're hoping to talk to uh, Dan coming up here momentarily. But, boy, if we had an action-packed 4 o'clock hour, Gordo, we had Sam Amick come on and uh, talk about his piece in The Athletic last week, of course, that kind of rocked the sports landscape around here. And then Tom Fornelli, I thought Tom was absolutely terrific, uh, talking about the NFL draft in the last segment. And uh, Tom has uh, Jordan Love going to the Chargers at number, let's see, what is it, Gordon, number 21? Was it 22? Or was it 22? Yeah, uh, uh, 22. Two going to the Chargers. I actually think that would be a terrific fit for him. I hope that happens. Yeah, I mean, there have been speculations that he would go earlier than that, but it gets back to what we were talking about, Jake. Pay me now or pay me later. Give me a situation right. where I can thrive in, where I'm needed, where I'd be valued, and that seems like that would be the case there. Yeah, I mean, I guess we, we talked about this, what was it, a week ago, two weeks ago, but I mean, if you were Joe Burrow, would you actually want to go to the Bengals? Well, that's a tough one because that would be uh, obviously a lucrative situation from him right for him, right from jump. But if I'm Jordan Love and I could go, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, then it doesn't really matter to me nearly as much because uh, there isn't as much payoff right up front. I know. Well, it it just seems like the Bengals are where you know high draft picks go to fade into obscurity. You know, if you're, it, it, I wonder if we asked Akili Smith, right? Did he go one or two to the Bengals? I think he was two. Yeah, but he wasn't and, any good. But um, do we know that, or did he just go to the Bengals? I mean, <laughs> like that's what I'm saying. I guess if we were to ask Akili Smith, would you rather go number two, or would you rather have gone to a better situation at the end of the first draft, or uh, excuse me, first round? I almost guarantee he would say a better situation, right? Even though well, the, the money I would don't be know. different. Because if you spend, you know, even an extra year in the league, you make up that money. Let's see. I don't know what the difference is between number two and number 25. Well, let's but. say, I mean, for the sake of math, let's say number two makes $2 million and number 25 makes $1 million. You spend one extra year in the league and you make up that money. I think the the disparity would be greater than that, but that's just my guess. Okay. I, I'd take a good fit any day. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're looking at the long term, certainly. Is, is but, Tom but I'm Brady, not sure. I'm not sure how good he would have been had he gone to a good situation. But is Tom Brady, Tom Brady, if he goes to the Bengals? <laughs> that's a great point. I, hmm. Got to say, nope. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if he washes out of the league in three years, but is Tom Brady Tom Brady if he goes to the Bengals? Not a chance. I wonder if there's a guy out there somewhere who who wasn't given the right opportunity who could have flourished. I I don't know the answer to that. I Uh, bet you there are so many examples across sports and and probably examples that we, we don't even know, right? But I bet you there are examples every single year. Uh, Hans brought this up, and, and maybe, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, Hans is over, uh, I guess, uh, evaluating his own abilities. But he said he and uh, Chris Hoke were pretty similar when they were at BYU from a skill set uh, standpoint. And Hans went to the, the Colts, where they had a coaching change in, in, at the beginning of his young career, whereas Hoke went to the Steelers, which, of course, are the model of consistency and, um, you know, defensive-oriented, and he was a really perfect fit there. You know, what if the their, you know, circumstances were reversed? I don't know, but I Oh, I yeah, that Tony Dungy didn't know anything about what he was doing, right? Well, no, 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 but, but to Hans's point, Tony Dungy moved him to the offensive line. I mean, Tony Dungy's didn't think Hans was a good fit for Tony's defense, so he moved Hans to a completely different position. 
so what you're saying is it's not necessarily a, a situation that is bad or idiotic in any way. It's just different. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, so Jim Mora was the one who signed Hans to begin with, right? And thought Hans was a good fit. So if Jim Mora were to have stayed at it uh, with Indianapolis for 10 years, uh, would Hans have been a good fit in Jim Mora's defense for an extended period of time? As opposed to a new coach comes in who wants to run a different type of defense and didn't sign Hans to begin with. And so all of a sudden, you know, he's in a situation that's not ideal for him. And I, I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting example, Hans bringing that up. And maybe, you know, maybe it, uh, it didn't make any sort of difference. But I, I think it's got to. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have no way of, of knowing that. Uh, Hans, what was Hans' situation? Uh, specifically, as far as when was he signed as a free agent? Was he drafted? He was an undrafted was... free agent. Yeah, but made the team. Yeah, and uh, played almost three years in the NFL, but had a coaching change there in the middle. I mean, you could probably apply it to to anybody's job. Like if if somebody hires you and then they leave, and the new boss comes in and doesn't appreciate what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make you any less, or is it just all of a sudden you're in a situation that isn't ideal? You know, a guy that I talked with about this who was very articulate and eloquent about it uh, is Chad Lewis. He, yeah. he, he He talks about you get an opportunity in the right place, and it's amazing what they can do for you. All right, Trevor Booker joins the show coming up next, but right now let's get out of the zone phone. Joining us, of course, our good friend Ryan from the Dish Professionals. And Ryan, you're helping our listeners improve their lives with better television. And, and frankly, I have Dish from the Dish Professionals, and I love it. I have those apps that put all my entertainment right there in front of me. It's, it's awesome, let alone you can save some money and support a local business. Absolutely. You know, and they did some studies, and they're talking about the, uh, the voice technology and the voice remote, and it's up like 150% since this whole thing started. Um, I'd like to think I maybe have a little bit of an influence on that. So I talk about how cool it is when you want to watch watch a movie. You name a movie. Um, if you, People have uh, been doing a lot of that on social media, naming their favorite movies. It's super cool because you just pick up your remote and just rattle off the name. It'll find it, and then you can just download it on on demand or set it to record, and it's all lined up for you to watch. That type of technology is something that uh, Dish customers have come to get used to. But if you don't have Dish, you probably don't know what we're talking about because you don't have a voice remote. In fact, the search process is kind of a joke. It's kind of ridiculous. So here's the thing. Take the switch. We'll get you a new system, a DVR that's twice as big. We'll get you a uh, uh, 16 more, 16 tuners, which is three times more tuners. Get you the Dish Anywhere app so you can have access to all your shows when you're not at home, including your DVR recording. And then we'll get you the one, a Google Voice Remote for every room of your house. Now, that works also as a Google Assistant, so you can ask it. Uh, math questions or anything you want. It'll also control light switches and thermostats. Super easy. Call us up today. We'll get you set up and installed as early as tomorrow, and we'll throw in uh, dinner at GCW's, 801-424-DISH. Thanks, Ryan. You're the best. Give him a call, 801-424-DISH, 801-424-DISH. Trevor Booker joins us next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.